Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. It's wonderful to gather together. I think Capetonians have so many temptations. We've got mountains, we've got beaches, we've got the sofa, we've got, you know, so many things that uh, might be beckoning us this morning, but thank you for coming and prioritizing community. And if you're visiting us, a very warm welcome. Um, it's great to be together. So we've been doing a, a two-part series. Uh, I'm kind of following on from uh, Laura's preach last week, where she reminded us that we are a, a people that are uh, defined by the gospel. The, the gospel is not just like this kind of entry point into God's kingdom, you know, something that happened a while ago, but actually the gospel, this gospel story is something that defines us. We as Christ followers, we've been, we were once dead, you know, that's, that's, that's the story of a Christ follower. Christ followers were once dead in their trespasses and sins, and now they've been made alive. And um, it's because of what Christ has done. It's him that makes us alive. And the key text she spoke out of was Ephesians chapter 2. And she reminded us, and we, we always have to be reminded, that we have to guard against the false gospels, the gospels of our culture. But even as, you know, Christ followers, we can often slip into these other kind of false gospels. They can kind of become quite prevalent in our thinking. The, the gospel of the first one was, is the good works gospel, which tells us that not only are we saved for good works, which, you know, I could, we can get on board with, but it says you're saved by good works. You know, it's you that will, your good behavior, you're following this moral code, you, you're doing good things and being a good person, that is what will ultimately save you. That's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible tells us. And the second false gospel we need to guard against is the good life gospel. And you can actually can kind of blend these two. But the good life gospel uh, tells us, or you know, you can start to believe that actually I'm saved. The reason I'm saved is for a good life. You know, God wants me to be prosperous. That's the whole point. You know, and that's the reason I've, you know, you, you can end up, you can live like that. That God just wants me to, you know, be prosperous and to, God wants to bless me so that I can bless others, and there's an element of truth there, but we're not saved just to live a good life, you know, for ourselves. She reminded us that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, and that's why we have the right to be called children of God. It's through Christ and Christ alone. And in light of that, now our purpose is to love, serve, and enjoy God and others until one day he returns and calls us home. So we hear living for his eternal glory and not just our own kind of temporary glory, our own prosperity here on earth. And if you didn't catch that first week and you sounds like something you want to dig deeper into, you can go to www.cgweinberg.co.za and all of our talks are on there and podcasts, etc. So today I want to look at kind of part two, and it's like, how do we actually sustain that? How do we sustain this gospel-centered, gospel-assigned life? What is the fuel that keeps us going? We're at that time of the year where we are probably quite tired, many of us. You know, we're feeling like, wow, I need a rest. You know, where do we get the strength and the energy to get through all the things that life throws our way and still have the strength and energy to be on mission with God and accomplishing all the things that he's called us to? And so I want to start just by asking us a question, something for you to reflect on, this statement, or it's a question actually in two parts. 
Are we, and we can actually bring it on the slide, are we in the world for God or are we in God for the world? In the world for God or in God for the world? And we can explore this in Scripture. So let's head to, if you have your Bibles, John 15 and verses 4 to 8. And uh, we'll be up on there as well. And this is Jesus speaking directly to his disciples. And it's a really beautiful passage full of promises. And one we'd do well to just really get inside of us. So from verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot bear fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy to my Father." Wow, this is an amazing, it's an amazing analogy or parable that Jesus is speaking to us, this, this vine analogy. And, um, you know, we don't have to go very far from this place. You know, if we just head kind of up the slopes here and we look that way, there's loads of vineyards, like as Weinbergers, Cape Tonians, we should be very, we should be able to relate to this analogy of a vine. And Jesus, the analogy here is that we are to live like branches that are connected to a life-giving vine, Christ himself. He says that there's this picture of us being the branches that need to be attached vitally to the, bride, to the vine. There's this life that, that flows out of the vine into the branches, this very sustaining, empowering life that, that flows in and it helps the branches to, to grow to sustain and to become fruitful. And right now it's, you know, it's summer in Cape Town and all over there are these, there are these little clusters of grapes, you know, they're like little green dots that are starting to form on the vines. And by the end of summer in like February, March, at the harvest time, there'll be these bunches that are like full, 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 these grapes that are, you know, almost a weight on the vine. And often the, these branches, they're so fruitful that they need wires and trellises to carry the weight, you know, or they like the fruit will drop to the ground. They're alive with fruitfulness. And it's because they grafted into the vine. If we do, would if, um, pick up on Ephesians 2 last week, you know, actually we're not these vines that just naturally, branches, sorry, that naturally grew out of the life. We were these dead branches on the floor, you know, that we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. There was no fruitfulness, there was no life there. And if we attach it to this analogy, we like branches that have been grafted into the vine. You know, when you splice the branch and you can attach it to the vine and then this, it, 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 it grows from there, it draws on the strength of the, vine, of the vine rather than just withering and dying. 
And that's, that's one way to also understand the power and the life of the vine is, you know, what is a branch without the vine? It's, it's, what is it good for? You know, what, is, what can it do by itself? It, it can't just grow roots, like, you know, and, and find a way to a water source. You know, and it's not enough for a branch to have been connected, you know, yesterday or, you know, last season, you know, and, and that's enough for it. You know, the vine has to stay, the branch has to stay connected to the vine. You know, no matter, from the moment it gets disconnected from the vine, no matter how much it drew the day before, it begins to wither and it begins to die. And so like it's tempting, I think for myself as a branch, sometimes I think, you know, I, I can, I'll tap into other sources. You know, there's other things that I, where I can find my rest and my energy and my life source. Maybe you do it as well. You know, maybe if I just have a better eating plan, and, and this is not bad, by the way. I'm just saying it's not the ultimate life source. You know, we often try to draw on other things. Maybe if I start doing Pilates, you know, I'll be more flexible and have more strength. I don't know what it is for you, but often we... There's other life sources and other things out there where we think like maybe we can get energy from that. Or sometimes as a Christ follower, you can just think, oh, I'll just, I'll detach for a while and I can, you know, I can always graft back in. You know, I can always go back there. But actually a branch is designed to be permanently connected and drawing on the life source of the vine. That's what Jesus says. It's not me. It's what he's, we've just read there. So it's true. I've got a, I don't have a grapevine in my garden, but I've got this beautiful, like kind of one of those ivy creepers, like a bit like at UCT, and it used to cover my whole back garden, and in summer, like now, it's beautiful and green, and then at the end of summer, it's all those autumnal colors and like really, really beautiful, and then I made the mistake of putting up a washing line, and uh, together with the guy who works in my garden, we thought that you know, there's all these things that go up, you know, the whole way along, and that's where all these things, you know, get their life from. But there was actually one central vine that went, that all of these branches that went up the tree drew their life from. And in the process of putting up one of those wall-mounted washing lines, you know, we cut that vine, thinking like, oh, it'll just be this section where the washing line is, and all the rest of the wall will be okay. And I can tell you it was within... 24 hours where that side of that whole back wall just started to droop and look sad, you know, while everything to the right was like, you know, as normal. And it was like a week later, the whole thing had withered up, you know, it looked like we were in the middle of the drought, while on the right-hand side, it was all vibrant and green. And, you know, two weeks after that, we had to pull the whole thing down and now just got ugly face brick the whole length of my garden. But it shows you how vital that, that vine is to giving life to all those branches. They, they, they were useless without that vine and just how quickly they withered and died. And another kind of gardening or farming analogy that we can use here and is helpful is this one of fences and wells. Often people think that Christianity is this religion that's you know, very much about rules and ethics, you know, do's and don'ts. So there's this analogy of fences versus wells. You know, in some, some farming, especially in South Africa, I don't know, it's probably just because South Africans like to, you know, this is my land, you know, we like to put up fences, you know, this is mine. But one way of, you know, keeping animals is to put up fences, you know, to put up restrictions and like, look, do this, don't do that, you can't go there. And actually, 
sometimes it's helpful and sometimes, you know, animals, you know, need that. But not all, all over the world do they farm like that. In other parts of the world, there's this, people simply have to dig a well, create a source of water and food. And because the surrounding environment is so harsh and barren, the animals know that they can't stray too far from that well because they know where the life is. They know where the sustenance and the nourishment is. You know, everywhere else, if you wander too far, will lead to death. But if you stay by the well, your life will be sustained and vibrant. And Jesus is a well, a living, active, dynamic well, and the one that we as, as Christ followers are called to draw from him. It's him that we need for life. He's the living source of godliness that flows through our lives. We are branches that day by day, challenge by challenge, moment by moment, need to be mindful of his presence with us. And we can look at how this plays out in the, in the Old Testament. We can go and look at, a, at David the psalmist and see how this idea of living in communion with God, you know, living attached to that vine is such a real thing for him. And we can look at another example in the New Testament. But let's read these slowly. Um, let's see them as an invitation from God to live in him, to live in close proximity to his presence. Uh, Psalm 16, verse 7 to 11. This is David. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Look at the incredible closeness of David to the Lord here. You can see that just the incredible energizing effect of that relationship that he has, the, the companionship, the, like, the intimacy, the security See, just the, this idea of rest and joy he speaks about joy and the pleasure of living in the presence of God, of living at the well, of living as a branch grafted into that vine. And then an example from the New Testament, Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. This is, this is stating a, like a historical redemptive fact. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. This is a statement of a, something that is a present reality. You know, it starts with the historical. Now it's talking about something that's present. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is, what it, this is what it means to live in the, in the light of the gospel right now, right here. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. It's again, it's that idea of, 
this life source that's not self-generated, something that we muster up in ourselves. you know, something that we get on the hamster wheel and happen, it, it make happen. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives within me. The life that I, I now live, you know, in my office tomorrow morning, in the classroom, at the dinner table, in my marriage, the life I live now, in, in the flesh, in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God, and I allow His life to flow through me and to energize and to animate everything that I do. I live as a branch connected to the vine, the, the source of all life and goodness. And uh, there's a quote from Paul Tripp. He says this about the matter. Yep, that's the one. So many of us have a huge dark hole in the middle of our gospel. Sure, we have a pretty good understanding of the gospel past, which is the forgiveness that we have received through the sacrifice of Jesus, and a fairly clear idea of salvation future, the eternity that we will spend with Jesus. But have we really understood the benefits of the work of Christ in the here and now? What does the gospel say you have been given right here, right now, so that you can be what you've called to be and do what you've been called to do? The answer is Christ. He is in you. He is with you. He is for you. And so the, to answer the question I asked you to reflect on, we look through, you know, through, through various passages and scriptures, the idea is much more that we're called to be in God for the world. In God, that's, that's where we start, in God for the world, rather than primarily in the world for God. And so how do we do this? And I want to say, look, there's no substitute for proximity, proximity to the presence of God. Proximity, if English isn't your first language, it means nearness or, or closeness in space, time, or relationship. It's just like a, a branch, you know, being connected to the vine. There's simply nothing, it can't do it wirelessly or Bluetooth or, you know, something else grafted in and out. No, it's, it's proximity that is the most important thing. I mean, think about the people that have had a big influence on your life, the people that have shaped you into the person that you are today, like the, the positive influences. Um, the people that have played significant roles in your life. Think about the, the brilliant teacher that made you really love a subject and like you, would, you, know, you ended up learning way more than I had a history teacher like that. I mean, I love history because of this one teacher that I had in standard seven and she left, but she was just amazing. What about like the inspirational coach? You know, if you ever played sports or team sports, you know, the one that you had an average team, but you ended up winning nine games in a row, you know, and still, you know, it didn't matter, but like for some reason this guy coaxed greatness out of your team. Or like a mentor, someone that just was ahead of you in an area and took an interest in you and like, you know, took you along for a few years. Might have been like a, a pastor or a youth leader, you know, that just took an interest and, um, you know, just helped you you know, at a critical phase in your life or like a, you know, loving parent, you know, someone that you just feel so secure and they love your whole life. If you were not around these people, if you're not in proximity to them, if you weren't, 
you know, shoulder to shoulder next to them, none of the good that they brought about in your life would have happened. It just wouldn't have been possible. And so proximity is key. This, the message today about, is, about, is, is about getting close, about getting near, about being those branches that are grafted into the vine, the animals that are drawing from that well and not you know, just wandering off, doing their own thing, but being close to the source of life. And it was the same with Jesus when he was on earth. It's, it's, it's always been this way, this idea of proximity. Think about his call to his disciples in John chapter one, from verse 35. The following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at, at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Very implicit in Jesus' call to his disciples when he said, come with me. It was a call to be close to him, to be with him in his presence. You know, they journeyed with him. They would have camped with him. They would have had every meal with him. You know, back in, in these days when someone said, follow me, it wasn't like, hey, follow me because I'll follow you back on Instagram or Twitter. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a, something done in the ether or in the cloud. You know, it was like, and you saw a little, ah, great, following, awesome. No, this was very much, you, you had to get moving. It implied like a, a you know, a getting, a going there, leaving my little territory here and actually going into, into, into their presence. You had to pack your bags and you had to be on the move with them, just like Jesus's, it's like that today, just like it was for Jesus's early disciples. It's an invitation to be with Jesus. That's, that's, that is the invitation of the gospel. It's not just to be saved, it's to be with Jesus, to be enjoying him and to be enjoying his presence, to be, to be glued to him. In the in ancient times, there was this blessing where, you know, in the Middle East that people would say to apprentices or to disciples, they would say, may you be caked in the dust of your rabbi. And it's like hard to relate to now, but the idea was you're so close to your, you know, following so closely that the dust is, is kind of like landing on you and you'd be so close to your rabbi and in such close proximity that you'd be caked in the dust, literally right behind him. Dust comes off him and lands on you. And this has always been the way of God, this idea of proximity and closeness to his presence. We don't serve a God that's far away and removed Constantly throughout scripture, you see this is a God that wants to draw close. In Eden, in the garden, he didn't just you know, create the garden and it was like an aquarium or a fish tank and he was watching from far. No, it talks about you know, walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It was like a conversation. It was like relational. Like, how did today go? Tell me, what did you discover? What happened? You know, what's new? You know, what, that's what he would have been talking about. You know, it would have been, he had such an interest with Adam and Eve. 
then when God decided, I want to draw people for myself and actually show how this community thing works, you know, with the Israelites, there was the tabernacle, which was this, this tent in which the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God, this tent would go with them, you know, when they moved amongst all their tents, there was this a tent, God had a tent, he camped amongst them in, in, the, in the Ark of the Covenant, in the tabernacle. And then when the Israelites found the promised land and a place where they would settle, there was this idea of a temple, you know, a place where God's dwelling would be. And then the, in the person of Jesus, in the, the incarnation, you know, the word being made flesh, the idea there is that he, again, he tabernacled amongst his people, so close that he became one of us. He, again, Jesus camped with us. And then you see how he called the disciples to follow him and how he was a magnet to people and he had crowds following him around. This is not a God from afar. He's a God that is near and that is close. And now today in his church, here we are. I mean, in the, in the worship today, you know, it was fairly chilled and calm this morning. We all came in and we're drinking coffee and then suddenly as we raise our eyes heavenward and we focus on God, there was this incredible presence of God in the worship today. And one day we'll be with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. You know, our proximity to God will be with him. That, that is our destiny. That is our design is to be close to God, not to be far from him. And there's something especially that we need to remember as 21st century Christians when it comes to being connected to the vine and remaining in him. You know, how do we do that? And this is how Jesus prepared his disciples in John 14 before he died and ascended to heaven. Because he was leaving. I mean, he was saying, you know, remain in me and I'll remain in you. And then he's saying to them, but I'm, I'm going to die and I'm going to go. So how, how, how do we do that? And it's, this, and it's the same for us today. John 14, verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us in all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives in you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, but you are in me and I am in you. I am telling you these things while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, as my representative, sorry, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus says to us, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So now on the other side, as we live, if you're a Christ follower, on the other side of Christ's death and resurrection, Jesus, he's not walking around for us to follow in physical form, but rather he sent us his Holy Spirit so how do we do this? Now, our, our primary goal, 
as followers of Jesus is learning to live in that constant state of connection with the Spirit. That, that's how we're able to be with Jesus, our rabbi. And I think that's what, one of the keys is to learn that we, we always need to, in a sense, be in two places at the same time. And what I mean by that is we need to be, we need to be constantly conscious of this and, and inviting of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need, when we're at home, we're at home and with Jesus by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're at work and with Jesus. On our commute, we're commuting and we're with Jesus. We need to bring his presence into the very, you know, the, the routine of our life, not just the moments, you know, not just life group on a Wednesday, not just like a quiet time, not just, you know, Sunday, not just a conference. I think living in the Holy Spirit is to be having that constant vital connection and that life of God flowing through us in the routine of our daily life. And we, we, it's almost essential because we live in a very chaotic world. You know, look at the digital world. Just this constant kind of stream of distraction and, you know, offering us something else and, you know, pushing us there and this link to that and, oh, what's that? And like another ad and, oh, you must check this. There's so many kind of distractions. And we need to, we need to adopt a, a different lifestyle, this lifestyle of constant communion and connection to the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's simple, but it's very, very hard as well. You know, we, we want this life of Jesus, but we also need the lifestyle of Jesus. We have to be very, very intentional about this. It doesn't, doesn't just kind of eh, happen, you know, it, it requires intentionality. You know, if I was, I've never run a, a marathon, I've never ridden the Argus, um, but I know, like, if I just tried to do it straight away, it would be a complete Disaster. I mean, I'd first need to lose 10 kilograms, at least, some of you are thinking. You know, I'd need to do like a little bit of training. I'd need to get up in the morning, even when I don't feel like doing it. It'd be, be discipline and a bit of dieting. Um, and it, it would require some, you know, some focus and some dedication and some effort in a particular way. Uh, William Paulsell says this, it is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There'll be some need for intentional commitment and some reorganization of our own lives, but there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of our daily living. Centuries ago, Christ followers would speak about practicing the presence of God. It was like, it was a, it was a discipline. It was something you had to practice. This was coined by Brother Lawrence. He was a kind of a dishwasher monk in a monastery. He spoke about this idea of practicing the presence of God. Another quote, no Tim Keller today, but Dallas Willard, um, the first and most basic thing we can do and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. 
Our part in practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of our practicing, we might well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on less things, things less than God, but these are habits. They're not the law of gravity and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. And so that's my encouragement to you guys today as we're heading towards the end of the year. I know not all of us work in industries where we're going to have much rest or time off, but I think often as we head to the end of the year, we can be a little bit the temptation is to dial out, you know, is to put, you know, everything to the side, um, including God, maybe. You know, I'm just going to take a complete rest. You know, and that's, the Bible says that's not actually rest. The rest you need, this, the recreation is actually found in God. Being with Jesus is actually the rest that you most need at this time of the year. And, and the rest of the time of the year, actually, when I was preparing for this preach yesterday, I was, I've come off a crazy year. I organize events, and I've done five events in the last 10 weeks, like around the world, and the last two weeks have just been event, you know, Christmas parties, industry cocktail events, just things in Joburg, all over. And I've been exhausted this week, and I came back to a whole day of school things, and then yesterday I had time to prepare for this message. And I love to be well-prepared, you know. I, I probably over-prepare. I think it's maybe my kind of events background because things go wrong very quickly when you haven't got a plan A, B, and C in events. But I was exhausted as I was praying, preparing for this message, and I'm suddenly, you know, wanting to look at this concordance and that commentary and that thing and this guy's quote and listen to what that guy preached on this message. And actually, I felt God say, no, what you most need is my presence. Put that away. I went and I, and I lay on the couch and I put on, I found like on Spotify, there are these great things, like three hours soaking instrumental music. I didn't do three hours. I didn't do three hours. I'm not quite there yet. But I probably did 45 minutes and it was the best thing. I felt energized. I felt just so connected to God. I felt like the life coming back through me and actually felt excited about speaking to you guys today. And I think that's what we're called to, is not so much the, all this doing and getting busy and all of that, but actually allowing God's life just to flow back into us. And this isn't, it's not just about, yes, reading the Bible is one of the best ways you can do that, but what about silence and solitude? Keeping quiet for a change. Turn the transmitter off, the receiver on, and just, you know, and receive. You know, listen to those around you and listen, listen to God. Listen for that still, quiet voice. Not just dedicated times of prayer, but what about just contemplative times of prayer throughout the day? You know, talking to God about how your day is going, and God, why am I feeling like this, and why did that happen, and that's bothering me. You know, just chatting, just sharing your life with God. Fasting, you know, like, and that doesn't have to be corporate fasting. That doesn't have to be us as elders saying, hey guys, we, you know, this, we're fasting for this. It could be just like, you know, maybe even the festive season. Like, no, I'm gonna put food aside for a few days. I'm actually gonna make Christ, the bread of life, 
the food that I'm feasting on at this time. Reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, you know, memorizing the Bible, having that, you know, living inside of you. It will produce fruit the moment you have God's word inside of you. It can't just stay, it has to find an, an outlet of blessing someone else or having some sort of impact on your life and the way you live your life. And then Sabbath keeping. I've got some Jewish friends that are amazing, you know, they do their Shabbat meal on a Friday, you know, which is just, I mean, we can learn from that. You know, obviously as a, as a Christ follower, we believe the Sabbath, you know, is a, we don't need to have an a day, but there's something so amazing about having a regular rhythm of rest that is like, you know, at this time, actually, no, we prioritize the presence of God and others, and we don't do any work. Amazing. So yeah, Sabbath keeping. How do we find rest in Him? And these, these practices and these things, they, they, the activities of the mind and the body, and they orientate our entire life, their whole person endeavors that allow us to connect with God. And then we know I'm coming into land. This is normally, I don't, don't normally go this long. But the, we also know, like I said earlier, that God also manifests himself when we're together. So it's prioritizing togetherness. It's prioritizing community. is prioritizing the very presence of God. Andre encouraged us. You know, we're two or, three or more gathered. There I am in the midst of them. And that's why we have Sunday gatherings. It's for the presence of God. Life groups, community groups are for the presence of God. Prayer meetings, worship gatherings, it's for the presence of God. Corporate fasts are for the presence of God. Retreats and camps and different moments and celebrations that we have in the life of the church, they're all orientated around the presence of God. They strengthen our relationships, they bond us together, but they're unique opportunities for us to be with Jesus by the Holy Spirit in ways that we can't get any other way. And what happens if we don't? What happens if, you know, we decide like, you know, we don't, we, we, connection to the vine is not that important, or I'm gonna wander away from the well. Well, Jesus says we stop being fruitful, we wither up, we shrivel, and we die. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. This is, this is a warning, this is serious stuff. This is not just like, hey, optional, like life optimization, you know, way to achieve more. No, we wither and we die when we're not connected to the source of life. Cool. And so spending time with God, talking to Him, hearing from Him, drawing on Him as our life source, these are the sorts of things that happen when we do this. It gives us boldness and confidence to stay the course. It shapes our moral imagination in a very confusing age. You know, what is... There's so many options, so many opinions. It recalibrates our consciences. It calms our anxieties. It secures our identity when we're shaken by lies. It reinforces our purpose in a world of competing visions. It gives clarity amongst all the options. It allows us to locate ourselves relationally in the universe. It showers us with mercy and grace when we blow it, shelters us from the storms of life, and brings satisfaction for the yearning 
in our souls. That's what the presence of God does for us. I think we'd agree we need all of these things and we, we want all of these things and they're only found in the presence of God by being found in Him, by remaining in Jesus. And that's why as a gospel-centered community, we're orientating our lives around Jesus, becoming more and more like Him and learning to live like Jesus would in our world. So let's be those that remain in Him and He'll fulfill His promise to remain in us. Just the last, you know, as we approach this end of another busy year and more busyness that Christmas brings, I want to remind you of Christ's invitation to us all. And the message puts it wonderfully, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's be a community that's found in him. Let's find our rest in him. I wanna ask the band to come up, maybe to lead us in a landing song, anyone that you feel is fitting, Adrian, but also want to invite all of us to the, to the table, to the Lord's Supper, to participate in that together. Let's share this, this meal together and let's, let's commit to prioritizing His presence in our lives. This, this meal is a, is a symbol of, of Jesus. It's we're doing this to remember Him and to put Him at the very center of our community. Um, Luke 22, verse 19 Jesus said he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. Let's put him at the very center of our community and everything we do, and especially as we go into the festive season, let's put Jesus at the center of everything we do. Um, you guys, as you feel ready, you can come up and grab some bread and wine, and um, you might want to pray alone. You might want to pray with someone next to you, um, but let's start by prioritizing him and thanking him for what he's done. If you're not a Christ follower, there's also no, uh, you're not required to take this meal, feel no pressure. This is a believer's meal, um, so if you want to sit this out, that's fine. Equally, if there's something in what I've said today that you've, you want to, you want to, you want to be found in Jesus, you believe that um, there's something special about him and his offer and his promises, and you want to cross the line of faith, you're welcome to participate in this meal as a sign of that, and um, come to speak to me. I'd love to share more with you.